Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's time to get green. Doug Oster and Jessica Walliser are in the house. All natural, no pesticides, no artificial ingredients. The Organic Gardeners. News Radio 1020, KDKA. Everybodygardens.com, triplive.com. Of course, Doug Oster, he's off today. But Jessica, part of that great skate company as well, Tribune Review. She's here ready to go to work. 866-391-1020, dollar bank, instant access at kdk.com. we got about a segment of show before we get to the phones. And uh, in the meantime, we're going to talk about some things that she is writing about and obviously blogging about and wants to discuss on the program today. And with snow in the forecast, so is that the end of fall planning? So all of that is still to come on the program today. But we always like to begin by showing our generosity for all of you fine listeners that support our wonderful sponsors like the folks at Sorgles. So if you are the 10th caller right now at 412-922-1020, you win yourself a gift certificate from Sorgles. But you're always a winner when it comes to gardening. And the organic gardening star in today is Jessica Walliser. Good morning, Jessica. Good morning. I'm horticulturist Jessica Walliser. Thank you for uh, joining us on this very frigid morning this morning. Um, I'm not sure if uh, Doug is in that kayak fishing this morning or not, but uh, or still maybe he's still in bed. Who knows? But anyway, I'm here, and I'd love to hear from you this morning with your questions. Uh, and you talked about what I'm writing about this week in the Trib. Well, I wanted to mention a Facebook post that I put up that got an incredible amount of attention because it seems to sort of be a universal amongst all gardeners, and that is... The end of the season cleanup of your containers. If you're a container gardener, you know what a big challenge and chore it is to empty all your containers. I have over 20 pots in my garden on my patio, uh, on the front porch, front steps, and some of them are huge. I, I love those glazed ceramic pots that they you know, sell at Sorgles and other garden centers and, and the colors, and they're beautiful, but they're super heavy. And I have over 20 of them. And at the end of every season, I empty all those containers out. Um, some of them that have tropical plants in them, like I have a couple banana trees in pots and a couple agaves um, in pots. And those I just drag down to the garage and they uh, go into dormancy and I just sort of store them in the garage for the winter. But the rest of the pots are emptied, cleaned out and stored in the shed. And it is a big project. And I sort of whined about it a little bit on Facebook, meaning, you know, I described it as being my least favorite day of the year because it, it genuinely is. Uh, and it took me hours to do it. But what was funny was the reaction that I got from people was Everybody feels the same way about the task that I do, apparently, that it's the conclusion of the season. It makes you sad to see all those containers and those gorgeous plants go away. And it is a whole lot of backbreaking work. So if you are up to that task this weekend, I feel for you. I sympathize for you because I know what a huge task it is. Uh, and somebody on there was like, well, why don't you just keep them all as houseplants? And I sort of was like, no, <laughs> I, I don't want to keep them all as houseplants. I don't want 20 gigantic containers in my house. Plus, with the cats, I always worry about that, you know, something being toxic to them or something. Um, but it is a big task, and it's a universal one amongst gardeners 
that we all have to put those containers away. And the other thing I do with my containers that you might want to do with yours as well is if you grow your vegetables in containers, in particular tomatoes, it's really important that you um, clean them with a 10% bleach solution before you store them because there are a lot of pathogens, fungal organisms, especially with uh, members of the tomato family, which would be like tomatoes, peppers, eggplants, potatoes. Those pathogens can overwinter on those containers and you would be reintroducing them to the plants next year. So if you had anything growing in a pot that was diseased in any way, whether it was a vegetable or even an ornamental, you want to clean that pot out. I actually use a like a toilet scrubbing brush it, with a 10% bleach solution, and I scrub the whole thing out, inside out, make sure you get the rim, the bottom of the pot, hose, you know, hose it off, and then let it dry in the sun before you put it away for the winter. And that will reduce your chances of disease um, transmission for next year as well. So yesterday we're talking about hoarding, which is October hoarding. I month. heard part of that segment, yeah. So my question is, I mean, you were kind of chiming in on the whole idea about... Wait, are you going with me being a hoarder on plants? Is that what you're going no, with? No, no, no. <laughs> but you were talking about, you know, you know, what the person said about making them all indoor plants. Yeah. Can you just have too much sometimes indoors, especially when it's the winter and you're not outside to where you're being detrimental to the plants because you just can't take care of all of them? And it's hard to say go plant and leave and find your own way because you have such passion for what you do. Right. And I've seen, I've been to visit gardens where people have the most, you know, pitiful looking house plants and, but they can't bear to get rid of them. They can't bear to part with them. You know, sometimes they have a history, you know, they came from somebody's funeral service, you know, in a little dish garden and they've had them for 25 years. Some of them, you know, they might be your grandmother's or something that's totally uh, legitimate. But if like, if it's really suffering and nothing you're doing is making it better and it's super pitiful and it doesn't have a history like that, it's okay to get rid of a plant. Uh, You know, there's always the compost pile, the great compost pile in the sky. Don't be afraid to send a plant there. Um, Yeah, I I definitely feel that it can be too much. You know, I I love houseplants. Don't get me wrong. Have Have you ever said to someone that plant is dead? (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> both inside and outside, oh. and and then and they always want permission to pull it out and get rid of it. And you brought it up because I have this passion because I think what people do in the funeral industry is very noble. I kind of saddened because florists have kind of been not left to kick to the curb, but people are going in different directions now because you know to donate to charities, which is great. But I still think there's something to be said about a, a nice fresh arrangement going to someone's funeral, especially if they were a gardener or someone who loved flowers. But what do you do in a case like that to where you want to keep those people in business? You want to pay tribute in a very noble way by sending flowers, but you don't want to do something that really has become annoying to where we are now talking to the point where you talk to any funeral director and they will tell you that it's about half, if not even below half, of what was once sent in the way of a flower arrangement. Yeah, I think sort of the whole dish garden trend where people would send like a bunch of houseplants or even a large houseplant to a funeral, I think that's kind of over. Um, and I th- I think that's a good thing because um, when you're given a live plant like that for a loved one's funeral, you really feel committed to it. Mm-hmm. You really feel like you, and I get this all the time. People say, will you take this plant for me? You know, it was from my dad's funeral or whatever. Can you take care of it for me? And, I, you know, I don't want that pressure either. So I think it puts a lot of pressure on the family to keep that plant alive. And maybe it brings up memories or whatever. So I I don't like that trend. I do really like to send fresh flowers. And I think the fact that fewer people are doing it in lieu of donations to charities, which is a wonderful thing. But I think that when people do send the flowers, it sends a message of, I, I thought of you in a different way. Right. And and um, I want you to have this, even if it's only going to live for a week, 
I want you to I want you to have this and enjoy it and or the fragrance or the the beauty of it. So I I do both. I will do a you know for a close friend I will do a donation to the requested charity and I will always send flowers as well. And sometimes they're the only flowers at well, the service. Well, let me ask you then, Jessica. And by the way, we need some phone calls to so get on the line eight six six three nine one ten twenty dollar bank instant access kdk dot com. Congratulations to Lois from McMurray, winner of that great certificate from Sorgles. And I looked into their pumpkin patch the other day from the highway. It looks absolutely spectacular. So get out there if you can. Great time of year. But so what would you recommend someone to send? Because I'm always perplexed on what to send because I'm not as knowledgeable as you, but I still love to see local florists thrive. And I also think it's very respectful to do that. And when I connect the funeral industry and being respectful of the dead, I think of the floral industry. So what would be something I could send? And it would be, I think, a good thing to do but people would appreciate it, but it's not going to be something that's going to be overbearing to where it's going to take up the whole room. Right. I just like a simple vase, like a clear glass vase that's easy to refill. They don't have to think too hard about it. You know, sometimes the baskets with the floral foam and all that, if they dry out, they're hard to re-wet. And, you know, they can be a little bit more work. Whereas this just a simple clear glass vase where they can see when the water level is low with just, you know, you can even do just a single uh, flower, like all lilies or all roses or all... You know, if you like carnations, all carnations, whatever. Or you could do like a mixed, a mixture of things, you know, lilies with status and liatris and some other plants. I mean, I've, I've, having been in the florist industry for That's why 15 years of my life, you know, I've seen it all. And for me, I just really like the simplicity of that. When did it, last thing, and then we'll yeah. go to break. When do you think all of that changed to where people, and be you being so organic. Yeah, that's a good question. And, and you know what you have seen, and I know I've seen, for people who have died who have served the military, if there's a war memorial or a monument somewhere in town, all of those flowers are taken there. Right. And they kind of disintegrate. And that's not a pretty sight if they've been there a long time. So, and you being organic, I know we all go back to the earth or back to the sea, but but what happened? Where, where did all this go bad? I don't know. I don't know. And you know what? I don't know, Rob. And it's sad for the but for the floral industry. Saying, I do. I mean, it's sad for the floral industry that 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 change has taken place. But it's great for the charities that are getting the donations for all of this. But do what you do, split it up. Right, right. Well, and the other thing to think about is after you send fresh flowers, you know, when you send if your if your loved one was in a nursing home or a care facility or a hospital, one of the most wonderful things you can do is take that arrangement to that nursing home after the service and thank the people that work there for taking care of your loved one. You know, thank you for, you know, putting your time and, and your days in with, you know, my dad or whatever and allow them to enjoy it, enjoy it um, for the next few days. And that really sends a, a heartfelt message to them as well. So Jessica Walliser is here. 866-391-1020. Dollar Bank Instant Access. KDK.com. Your calls are next. Doug and Jessica teach you how to keep it green. The Organic Gardeners. This Radio 1020 KDKA. You know, I'm all for a good Snickers bar, but I have to ask you. That's my favorite. I know, really? You? Oh, yeah. Do they do organic Snicker bars is what I want to know. Yeah, it doesn't. Uh, that is one thing. It doesn't matter. I will eat the Snickers bar organic or not. Yes, there is organically grown chocolate what out there, you, but it's not Snickers. Well, because you are really into that, and I I admire you for that. What, what would you do for trick-or-treaters that's, you know, a healthy thing? What would you do? What could you do? Oh, my God. Well, some of my favorite things that my kid gets are like when they give people give out juice boxes. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, because when you're out there walking up and down the street, like they often drink the juice boxes while they're out. You know, instead of, you know, waiting to get home later, they they have something to drink while they're out there. And then you don't have to. I mean, I, you know, 
always have my margarita and my travel mug with me, but <laughs> I, I'm down for that. I'm down for that. Right? You take a hot toddy with you on the like, Listen, you're going out I know you don't realize it now because you're such a young person, you and your husband, but when that day comes that your son doesn't need you to take him anymore, yeah, that, that's rough. Well, who is going to need us except when he turns 16 because we usually drive to go <laughs> trick-or-treating to meet up with friends because right. we don't really have many houses. I mean, we got like eight houses on our street and, and that's it. So, Mommy, it I want to get a, a permit. You wait till you're 18. Right. <laughs> It'd be a super quick well, You know, trip. that's such a unique time and I miss that so much. Yeah. It was a, it was a joyous time. So uh, in, enjoy trick-or-treat coming up this week, all of you out there. Okay, let's go to Frank in Peters Township. Frank, how you doing? Good morning. Welcome to KDK. Good. Thank you. I had a couple of problems with my pepper plants this year. Um, one was I got these leaf-footed bug nymphs. Oh, yeah. And I, I actually found an interesting organic way to treat them. I looked up on the, on the Internet, and it was this mixture of neem oil and castile soap mixed with water, and it was extremely effective. Mm-hmm. But that was really just on one of the plants. The other plants, the peppers got kind of this brown, crusty um, surface on the on their bottom part, okay. and the the peppers themselves did, and basically they never really grew very well. And I, I just had a it's the worst pepper crop I ever had. And I didn't know if there was like a disease going around or what I could do for next year to try to treat it or prevent it. Yeah, the what's crazy about those leaf footed bugs is this is <laughs> this is a classic example of one of those. Um, pests that is coming into Pennsylvania due to our warming climate. This was is typically a southern pest. Um, uh-huh. We would never see leaf-footed bugs to this extent here in Pennsylvania. Maybe one every year I would see. Now mm-hmm. the they are becoming more and more common, and I suspect over the next five or ten years we will have more and more people having uh, you know a problem with these insects. They're very distinctive-looking. Right. They're sway-backed, and you know what they look like, but I'm describing it to the other callers. They're little and brown and sway-backed when they're nymphs, and they have this needle-like mouth part, and so they suck the, the juices out of the tomatoes or peppers and they cause mm-hmm. sort of like a corking or stippling in the um, in the flesh of the fruit and they will be clustered when they're nymphs they're gregarious so they're clustered together on the fruit and and feeding uh, and right. they're real distinctive real damaging you wouldn't even have to mix that castile soap with the neem you can just uh-huh. use the neem but in this case neem would be you being used as a contact poison so it must come in direct contact with that insect um, right Neem is not something I typically recommend in the vegetable garden because it can really harm pollinators. So be super careful not to use it when pollinators are active. So do it mm-hmm. either first thing in the morning or really late in the afternoon. It is an organic pesticide, but it's one that can have some residual effects for pollinators. So do be mm-hmm. really careful in using it. Um, I hosed everything off really well after they died, so I don't know if that would be effective enough or not. Yeah, well, then I you're getting it... it you're getting it down into the soil, right? So it, it mixed with the water and then it drops down uh-huh. into the soil where it can harm um, soil organisms. Obviously not nearly as much as like a chemical, most chemical yeah. insecticides will, but you might want to try something like a insecticidal soap instead, because I think that mm-hmm. would be just as effective as a contact um, pesticide and certainly with a lot less residual activity. So I would just try next year, if you have leaf-footed bugs again, to, to use a um, organic um, insecticidal soap instead and just try it and okay. see how that works. Now, like as the for Castile the, soap? Yeah. Well, I wouldn't even use Castile. I would, because that's technically, I, I can't legally tell you to use that because it is not a product that's labeled for use as a pesticide. So uh-huh. I would want you to buy a commercial specific 
insecticidal soap. And it would say that right on the brand, uh, on the bottle, like safer brand is one that I often use safer brand insecticidal soap. Uh, and that's what it would say on the, on the label. And then that's legally tested and labeled for use on plants. Uh, Uh as far as the bottom of your peppers turning brown, um, describe that brown. Was it sort of like a, like a lesion on the bottom of the fruit? Um, or, or what did it more like netting? On the bottom, no, it, this, it was like the uh, the surface itself became really brown and crusty, and it was a pretty large area of the bottom of the of the uh, pepper. Okay, uh, I, normally I would suggest say with something like that, it was probably blossom end rot. A lot of people think blossom end rot is only an ailment of tomatoes, but it's actually a physio- physiological disorder that can affect any fruiting plant like that. And peppers are a lot of times a victim of it, and we'll see it on that bottom end or the blossom end of the fruit. Uh, uh-huh. And it will be sort of like a big brown expanding canker on the bottom of there. If you're seeing instead sort of a hard, crusty, net-like growth, um, that can be the, the f- just other disorders. And I would say your best bet with that is to do different varieties of peppers next year because some are more prone to it than others. All right, listen, we got to get to a break. Thank you for the call. We've got Kay in North Hills and Anita in McKeesport. We'd love to hear from you. Jessica Wallace hosting today. Doug is off. It's the Organic Gardeners, 866-391-1020. Dollar Bank Instant Access, kdk.com. We'll get the latest from CBS Radio News at the bottom of the hour, give you an opportunity to take home a Janoski's gift certificate, then get right back to the phone. Stay with us and good morning. This is the Organic Gardeners on News Radio 1020, KDK. Doug and Jessica teach you how to keep it green. The Organic Gardeners. News Radio 1020, KDK. All right, what do you say we uh, make it the 10th caller to win a gift certificate to Janoski's out in. Uh, that beautiful community of Clinton. Got to check out that Janoski spaghetti sauce, too. 866-391-1020 to talk to Jessica Wallace. But to get that gift certificate, 412-922-1020. Here's Ann in the South Hills. Ann, good morning and welcome to KDK. Uh, yes, I had a question about my lilacs. When I first moved into my home, maybe 10 years ago, they were beautiful. And slowly, they just started to get some powdery mildew, that type thing. Now they're just about dead. I mean, I, I don't know if I have to just remove them. And Sure. So uh, let me ask about your maintenance techniques up to this, you know, this point in time. Have you pruned those lilacs on a regular basis or what have you done with them? Mm, no. Okay. I have not. Okay, so that's what I thought your answer was going to be. So basically, well, they, were too, they were too tall and too big at that one point. Well, that's a, that is a big sign that you need to do some pruning then. <laughs> so uh, if you, they get to the point where they're like too big to prune, that's a sign you should have been pruning a long time ago, right? So this is this goes back to sort of that lesson of really making sure we properly maintain plants right from the time we either move into the house or we we buy that plant and put it into our garden because otherwise, by the time they get to this size. And we're seeing the reduction in flowering and we're seeing a greater um, incidence of diseases. It, we, they, we've really let things get way too far. Uh, so it's time to do a big, heavy-duty, rejuvenative pruning on that lilac. And this is really common with lilacs, so don't feel bad about it. Okay. But what you need to do is either you need to hire somebody or you need to get in there with a, a nice saw. And, um, it, and you need to go in and at the base of the plant where there's all these stems coming out, you need to take out a third to a half of the oldest, biggest trunks in there. 
and they come back all the way down to the ground. And what that's doing is it's thinning it out. It's allowing the remaining shoots to get a greater amount of energy and therefore hopefully, um, you know, induce some blooming in the future. And that really, you should really be going in for anybody else who has a lilac about every two to three years, you should be going in and taking out one or two of the biggest, oldest stems and trunks all the way back down to the ground to allow the new ones space to develop. Uh, but you've got a big task. You've got, I'd say, you know, again, a third to a half of those canes need to come out this year and then do another third to a half of those canes the following year. And again, it will still probably be about three years until you see a really good flush and return of blooms. It's going to open up the plant. It's going to allow more air circulation, which will reduce the chance of that powdery mildew as well. Okay, that was my other question because I'm using them to block some views that yeah, you know, that's why I didn't want to cut them, but right. they will come back. It'll be a couple of years. Before. Absolutely, yeah. And when you're doing that thinning, when you're taking out, you know, that portion of you still have left. You still have things left. It's not like you're taking the whole plant down to the ground, uh, and you're starting from zero. You're just gradually over the course of two years, really thinning out those oldest canes and letting the young ones take over. Now there are a lot of dead branches on there now. Those should always come out. Always, anytime you see dead branches, it's a good time of year to prune them out. Um, so you can, now. yeah, you can do that now. Get in there with a good quality pruning saw. Um, if you've used that pruning saw on another plant, just spray it with some Lysol before you prune that lilac because you don't want to, you know, transmit any diseases from one plant to another. Okay. 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 Thank good you luck. Very much. She's got mm-hmm. a job ahead of her. That's for sure. All right. Dollar Bank <laughs> Instant Access, uh, KDK.com. This is from Paul. What can you do about wire worms in potatoes? Oh, those things drive me nuts because I have them in my soil as well. And there's not, unfortunately, there's not a lot you can do. Um, old time farmers, they would do like a soil fumigant. The EPA has actually banned a lot of those fumigant products. Um, and you're not allowed to use them as a home gardener. You can't even get them on the market because they kill everything in that soil. So what I would suggest that you do for those wireworms is there's some species of um, beneficial nematodes, which are little tiny microscopic organisms that go around in the soil and they affect different beetle larvae and different grubs. uh, And there's different species of those beneficial nematodes. So I would get in touch with the folks at uh, a company called Planet Natural, and it's just planetnatural.com. Uh, there's another one called Arbico Organics, and they sell different species of these nematodes. Um, they're a living organism, so not any. I don't know of any of our local nurseries that carry them because they require refrigeration. But in the spring, those nematodes are applied to the soil with water. Usually, they're you know sort of with mixed with water and then applied to the soil, and those. Uh, nematodes will then go out into the soil and they will kill those wireworm larvae and greatly reduce the chances. There's ones that do flea beetle larvae. There's ones that do cucumber beetle larvae. You can do iris spores, Japanese beetle grubs in the lawn. Um, and again, you, you need to rely on one of those companies to make sure that you get the right species of nematodes to control those wireworms. But they are really excellent. But you have to do it in the spring, not in the fall. All right. Is it good to be a nematode? If you're a good nematode, it is. There's also bad nematodes, especially in the south. We don't have too much of a problem with them up here yet. Uh, But in the south, they can be really, really destructive, root-knot nematodes and things like that. All right, ladies and gentlemen. You didn't think you'd get a serious answer to that question, did you? It's just certain things which make no sense to most people, but I just hear things and I wonder. You know what I mean? Like nematode. Yeah. All right. Who came up with that name, right? Yeah. Was it a nema or was it a toad? Or was it both? 
Uh, I collected all my milkweed seed from my plants. Now, how do I plant them? Where would I want to plant them to? Oh, well, with the milkweeds, you actually want to plant them now. Uh, you can hold them over in the fridge and then do the planting in the spring, but they like to go through that stratification, which is that cold period over the winter, to initiate uh, them to germinate in the spring. So you can pretend you're Mother Nature and just sprinkle them on the ground this time of year, um, and they'll naturally come up next spring, uh, especially like the swamp milkweed, which is super easy to grow from seed. In fact, it comes up in my garden uh, from seed just naturally on its own. The seed drops and it grows the following spring. So it's not something you have to think too hard about if you just plant it like Mother Nature would plant it. We'll be back. Doug and Jessica teach you how to keep it green. The Organic Gardeners. Is Radio 1020 KDKA. All right, here we go. Let's say hi to John in Bellevue. John, how you doing? Good morning. Welcome to KDKA. Good morning. Um, the question I had is I just planted grass about a month ago. It come up beautiful. It, it's full. It doesn't look real thick. And uh, the question I had is when can I cut that? Should I wait till next till the spring or can I cut it before this winter? How tall do you think it is right now? Oh, it's probably five inches. Right oh, now. yeah. You need to mow it now, right? You need to mow it now. And here's why. Okay. I mean, not just because it's getting really tall and long, but that nice, young, succulent growth in the, is very prone to things like uh, snow mold in the winter, which a normal, right. healthy, established lawn usually doesn't have too much of a problem with. But when you let young, succulent grass like that get too long and it sort of flops over under the weight of snow, those are the perfect conditions for those issues. So I would definitely make sure that you mow. I'd keep it at about, you know, during the season, I usually tell people to mow at about three inches. But for your final cut of the year, now that the weather is definitely cooler, I would say about two and a half inches to do your mow there. And on that young grass, really need to make sure that there's no, no you know, leaves piled up on it um, at the end of the season. Make sure you rake or mow, you know, chip up any leaves on there because, again, that could lead to mold as well. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, Marlene, winner of that gift certificate to, to Janoski's in Clinton. Let's say hi to Lee in New Kensington. Lee, how are you? Good morning. Welcome to KDK. Good morning. I was wondering, uh, with winter coming, do wood ashes have any role in organic gardening? Gardening. That is a great question. <laughs> that is a great question. Um, the the short answer is possibly, um, and it depends on how. Tr- how we treat them and how we use them. So wood ashes have an extremely high pH. They're very alkaline. And if you add too much of them to the soil, you can really shift that pH of your soil into a direction that is not favored by most plants. So you have to be very judicious about how you use them if you use them at all. Um, I know old-time farmers and gardeners you know, always used to spread their wood ash over their garden every year, sort of automatically, just for the, the nutrients it could supply. But they, you know, in many ways, were doing more harm than good. So I often tell people, leave the wood ashes out of the garden, but don't be afraid to use them in the compost pile. Um, now, obviously, you don't want to put gobs and gobs of them on there. If you burn your, you know, your uh, wood stove all winter long, you don't want to put all the ashes on your compost pile. But you certainly can distribute the ashes amongst the other ingredients in your compost pile. If you mix them with fall leaves, grass clippings, straw, kitchen scraps, and really get those mixed into that pile, that will help neutralize that pH a little bit, but still allow you to have the nutri- nutritional value of those wood ashes. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Good answer. Let's go to Kay in the North Hills. Hey, Kay, how you doing? Welcome to KDK. Good morning. 
Um, Jessica, this spring I took the newspaper and put it in my garden. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't get the early blight, but I got the late blight. But, okay. Um, what do what do you do with this newspaper? Because it when you clean up the garden. Is it not blighted also? Is it? What do you do with it? That is a great question. So I use the newspapers as an underlayer for my organic mulch that goes on top. So in the vegetable garden, I put down about 10 sheets thick of newspaper. And then on top of that, I'll do either leaf mold or compost or shredded up leaves. You could even do straw or grass clippings over it. And what I find usually is when, when I have that layer of organic matter on top of the newspaper, by the time the end of the gardening season rolls, around, that newspaper has been completely digested by soil microbes and earthworms, and it's been processed and worked into the soil, so it actually isn't even there anymore. Um, Now, when you say, what do you do with it this time of year, are you actually seeing it still in your garden? Yes. Do we clean it out of there, or what do we do with it? No, you actually just leave it there, because it's actually a a great carbon source for the soil microbes, which will decompose and break it down. Sometimes what happens is if it's exposed to the air, so if you have some of the edges that popped up, you know, out of the mulch, or some of the mulch that was on top of it washed away, those portions of newspaper will not break down as rapidly. So in those areas, I would suggest that maybe as you're raking your leaves off of your lawn, dump them on top of any exposed newspaper and by the time spring rolls around that new, you won't even see that newspaper it'll be completely digested by the soil microbes it's not contaminated from the blight no and, and in fact those soil microbes can help get rid of disease pathogens the vast okay. majority of organisms in our soil are very beneficial and these organisms can help break down and process fungal issues like the blights and septoria leaf spot and all that stuff they can help process it and lessen our chances of it in the future so no i would not worry about that being you know holding spores especially if it, it's broken down during the course of the winter okay thank you you're welcome all right, let's take another call. Let's go to Anita in McKeesport. Hi, Anita. Welcome to KDK. Oh, hello. Hey, um, a dear friend of mine was telling me um, that Nassau rated the peace lily as one of the best plants um, for your house to clean the air. Did you hear that, Jess? I thought maybe that might be a nice um, plant for florists to have to give. Yeah. You know, yeah, so th- th- it's interesting that you bring up that NASA study because there has been some conversation in my industry about uh, houseplants and their ability to clean the air. And in particular, people often point to that that NASA study. And there is a little bit debate of debate about what exactly they were studying um, with the, that, those houseplants and really which ones can, can filter contaminants out of the air. So um, there's definitely some experts that say, you know, that NASA study does not translate to the home environment at all because it's a completely different environment, you know, on the space shuttle than it, than it is here. Uh, and so you know their ability to clean the air in that situation is different than their ability to clean uh, the air in our homes. But regardless of which plants are best, we do know that having a lot of house plants, you know, in your home does help clean um, things like formaldehyde, which is uh, used to clean is used in carpets. You know, it does help clean some of that out of the air. Um, and regardless, I think you know you're right as we were talking earlier in the first segment about you know what to send to a funeral home and things like that. Um, peace lilies are lovely plants. They're lovely plants, and I would not argue that they would make a um, a wonderful. 
gift to send to somebody for you know a, a funeral service for a loved one. I think they're they're great plants, and they do require very little care. Okay. I guess that's okay. All right. Let's go to Maria in the Penn Hills. Hey, Maria, how you doing? Good. I have some old flocks, you know, the perennial uh-huh. purple flocks. They're very old. They, they have to be about 25, 30 years old. And they come back every year. They're very tall. They're like over three feet. And, and some of my friends say, boy, those are the tallest that I've ever seen. Uh, now, since, you know, they're already dead, do I cut them down to the ground? I've always been cutting them down to the ground. Or should I dig some of them up? Okay, so there's two different ways that you can take this. For me, I have no longer do any cleanup in my garden in the fall because all of that debris and those stems and leaves and things in your perennial bed, uh, especially are great habitat for our native pollinators and butterflies and, and bees and beetles and all these good bugs. They're great habitat for those insects to overwinter. So I leave all of my ornamental perennial gardens stand through the winter and then I do my cleanup in the spring. Um, If you are finding that clump of flocks is getting really large, there's a reduction in flowering, um, things seem really crowded in there, then I would say it's okay to to divide it. I think we're a little late in the season to do dividing of perennials. At this point, I would wait until the spring if you're going to do that. But I would definitely leave those stems stand all winter long and do that cleanup instead and in the spring and then do the dividing in the spring as well. Okay, back to wrap up the hour with Jessica Wallace, your organic gardeners. Doug and Jessica teach you how to keep it green. The Organic Gardeners. News Radio 1020, KDKA. All right, listen, it's just enough time for me to say to Jessica Wallace, thank you so much. Another great show. And uh, keep doing what you're doing, and we will talk to you and Doug next week. Sounds good. And remember, the organic gardeners always aim to teach you how to create a better place to garden and a safer place to live. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.